you cannot make a billion dollar business in marketing in Switzerland. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Christian, a very well welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thanks for having me. You are the co-founder and board member at Kingfluencers, the leading Swiss social influence agency. And before we're going to talk about that venture, we actually want to start with your personal background. After getting your bachelor's in computer science from the ETH, you soon embarked on the entrepreneurial journey, basically. You started your first venture, which was called HitsDev, an independent developer studio. And I was just wondering what actually motivated you to get started in the agency business? Um, well, it, this was actually when we founded the company was uh, during uh, our studies, actually. And the full, very nice name was Mobile Development Hits and Partner. Um, a funny story. So we actually kind of uh, moved into that by accident because we uh, did, a, did a project for uh, for Turbo and SPB mm -hmm. uh, with Yorim uh, Yaki, Adam Cenek and Samuel Hitz. And we kind of started this project and we uh, set up the, uh, the account with, with Turbo uh, and kind of it turned out that it was a too big a sum for them to just like transfer it to individual people. Uh, so we tried to figure out how to uh, how to do that properly. And we actually got some consulting uh, advice from ETH. I don't remember exactly, but some uh, entrepreneur or uh, uh, help bureau we mm -hmm. could use. And they suggested to to found a Kollektivgesellschaft, right. <laughs> which was very funny. And you got to have a name in in that company uh, of one of the founders and that ended up uh, to uh, ended up being Samuel Hitz. So that's why this nice, very long name, <laughs> uh, no GmbH. I don't remember why we just didn't found one of those. But so this was actually during the studies and why we did it is just because we had fun um, uh, working uh, mm -hmm. and, and building a company basically by accident. Yeah. And then suddenly you also actually came into sort of a transition because you then switched from the agency business to a more product-based business. Can you talk a bit more about the transition and how it happened? Uh, yeah, sure. So during the studies, we uh, actually did this uh, this big project for uh, for Turbo. And after after our studies, or at least the bachelor's, we, uh, we did a uh, like group of friends, in uh, particular uh, Jorim, uh, and, and sell them kind of what we want to do. And we basically, we did internships uh, and then it was winter, kind of winter. And we found, okay, the good, like the master starts in autumn. Usually you should start in autumn. You could start earlier, but it wasn't really uh, good because they base on each other. So we figured, okay, what do we do um, with our time? So we decided to, to build a product. Um, because we already worked together as a team at ETH and did some hackathons, uh, went to the Panaps, one of the first ETH teams, not the first, I think, uh, nice. that went there. And we did very good placing and we figured out, okay, why should, should we not uh, build a project? We can do something uh, relatively quickly uh, to generate some money and it's just a, a fun project uh, to 
uh, spent the time until summer. Mm. Uh, it turned out to, to be a little bit differently, so it took a little bit longer. Uh, but when we launched, we were very successful. We got uh, over 100,000 downloads for Timely in a matter of 30 hours. And uh, then it, uh, as, as, uh, uh, it turned out that uh, the company got bought by Google. So that was also a little bit differently than planned, actually. It wasn't really the plan. Uh, yeah, and so that's kind of how we moved into into that business. And we, from the beginning, we didn't really want to do some agency stuff or um, kind of, yeah, that worked, but really, really build a nice product because we uh, we knew we can do it, we can do it well. Uh, that's why we, we did it. Makes sense. You seem to be very team focused. So you had a, a really killer team, so to speak, that was very talented. And, and you said, hey, we just want to work together first in the agency business. Then you said, OK, let's also build our own product. What made you such a good team? That's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. Um, usually we'd say like we complemented each other, but I mean, we were uh, four software engineers, engineers right. or like computer scientists, so <laughs> that can't be it. No, uh, I think we like we just worked well together and we wanted to build something. We were ambitious, we were detail focused, and that at least worked for the kind of stuff we did there. Mm -hmm. um, I think like having four computer scientists is not always the best uh, combination for any kind of uh, product or startup, I guess. But I think we, we turned it around. We're like, okay, what can we do well together? Right. So it was clear from the beginning for Timely in particular that we will build an Android app that um, with like a product that already exists and so not something new or like, like you need to do, but something we can do. But we will do much, much better than everyone else. And it was no accident when we choose the alarm clocks because there were like 50 in the store, mm -hmm. like not really good ones. So we thought like, okay, we can do that better in like two or three months. Uh, it took four months, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's still <laughs> that's a, a pretty of, good timeline. Yeah, yeah. What was it particular that you did differently than the existing apps out there? It was done by version one um, that actually got us some headlines just because of that, because okay. most of the apps there were focused on iOS. Mm -hmm. uh, we focused on Android and it was finished with ver version one, basically, yeah. and done. It's not like uh, very, very crappy done or like not working, but really solid, uh, solid version one. We added features, obviously, but it was, they were minor compared to the rest. Sure. Not, not much of the things were missing uh, otherwise. Right. And then you mentioned you got more than 100,000 downloads in basically no time. At the certain point in time, you, you decided, like, we want to build a great product because we are talented software engineers. When did you also start thinking about a potential business model or about monetization of the actual app? From the beginning. So it was part of it. Uh, we, we actually had a lot of fun discussions, like how to price it. Like, right. uh, people weren't used to uh, pay a lot for apps, in particular mm -hmm. also not Android apps. Um, um, we looked at the like the stores, one franc or like dollar euro about yep. that. Uh, two, three, like uh, let's go for four for the premium version. Right. Uh, we then overdid it kind of with an in-app store. So mm -hmm. you could actually just buy out the ads. So add free version for maybe, I, I don't know, maybe one euro or something. Mm -hmm. And then we would try to upsell you to the custom themes and the sounds or the full premium version. Nice. Um, and we were like, first, like, who's going to pay like four, $4 for like, it was one time purchase. It was not a month, not monthly. That right. Nobody did that at that time. Right. Um, 
nobody's gonna be like who's gonna pay down so we were really nervous about the price i was like okay let's let's try like okay simple that's why we overdid it because we weren't sure that anybody was is going to pay four dollars it turned out when we looked at the numbers that if someone paid most of the ones uh, that did pay something actually just bought the premium for about four 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 dollars and not the lower tiers fantastic so that was learning uh, with, uh, based on the data we then gathered right? i think okay. that's a very good learning actually yeah. Yeah. how many people were you able to convert from the free version to the actual paid version oh just approximately i think it's i think it, it, the common number is like in the, the lower one percent right. uh, lower lower one yeah, yeah digits uh, i think which was i think okay um sure. we didn't too much i think to push it up uh yeah. i think we instead of showing ads we actually showed ads for our premium version i'm still not really sure if that was a, a good idea for the long term mm -hmm. uh, to increase it and not just show ads um get paid i don't know uh, that that was one thing I, I was interested in trying but like time frame wasn't there exactly yeah, luckily you didn't have to think too long term because 11 months after founding the company behind Timely called Bitspin, you were actually acquired by Google, which is crazy. First of all, as a Swiss company and second of all, in such a short time uh, frame, basically. So how did the deal happen? Can you talk a bit more about the details there? No, I can't obviously talk about the details um, as usual, but I... Uh... No, you need to ask the question. So um, it, it was also not very like spectacular in, in, in some sense. It was a lot of work to um, do stuff and do that. And it wasn't the plan A. So our app uh, worked really well. So our plan A really worked uh, for us. Uh, mm -hmm. So we could build more stuff kind of independently and having that revenue. So that, yeah. that actually worked really well uh, either way. So we really had the options. And it was, I think, in the end, uh, difficult decisions uh, to make. Uh, to join, not to join. There were a lot of uh, pros and cons. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and for me, in the end, um, I decided not to join Google because it kind of wanted to stay on the entrepreneurial track and build something up. That was kind of my motivation. But it wasn't, I mean, it was a really hard decision because Google has so many great uh, people to learn from. Uh, I always liked that too. Uh, yeah. Also staying with the team, building with the team. That was in driver. We have worked together for a very long time. So, um I look back and yeah, it's kind of sad and not sad to have done the decision. I think for me personally, it was, I think, the right one. But the other, like, yeah, it would also be definitely a nice, uh, good good thing to do. But And first, you also had to decide whether you actually want to sell. After you had the offer on the table from Google, how do you make that decision? Because you could also say, hey, we're such a great team. This is just the beginning. We can actually build much bigger yeah, things together. Yeah, yeah. So how do you make that decision? Was the deal size just, uh, you know, too lucrative to yeah. say no to or what happened there? Yeah, I think uh, that's that's a part, like one of the, the things that I uh, really thought about. We di really discussed as well. It's like, okay, when we can do it and we have this opportunity already, like what can we do if we work together longer? I right. mean, maybe it would have been better, maybe not. Maybe yeah, for engineers is not the best combination to to start something else. But mm -hmm. I think in the end, it depends what you do and need to uh, make the decision on, on that regard. And it, I think it was in the end an individual decision um, for, for everyone of us. And, and I think it was turned out well for everyone, uh, like how they did it and not um, regretting mm -hmm. uh, the decision. So that's 
I think in, in retrospect, I think then probably a good decision. You exactly. don't always have like the right or wrong, but obviously if you really regret it, it's like, oh, we really should have done that. But you never know what could have been. That was a big part of the question there for me as well. I was like, okay, what could be staying together? And Absolutely. You don't know. And what was the rationale of Google of acquiring you? Did they just see that, hey, your technology, your app was just so much better than anything that they built themselves, so they wanted to buy and integrate that? Or was there any other thinking behind the, the strategy? In the end, I, we don't really know, or I don't really know. Okay. I mean, it's speculation, uh, why or what, uh, but they, they have the reasons, uh, I guess. <laughs> and is it also true that you just get one offer and a very short time frame to say yes or no to that offer? Um, I don't even remember that in detail. And even if I think I couldn't really talk about it, but uh, it's a process. Uh, it's 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 certainly tough, and in particular because you you need to make the decision. That's that's the hard part, I think. Right. Obviously, you have negotiations and stuff like that, but yeah. it's I think the part is common. Yeah. And then it was basically a payday for you and your co-founders. What did you do with the money? I kind of started working on other stuff, kind of not really something specific. Um, I guess I think I bought like, did I did I buy a computer? No, I already had that. I didn't <laughs> even invest in too much hardware. Yeah. Uh, no, actually, I think probably the biggest was that uh, kind of I moved out. Uh, we were living together. That was actually really fun and like very intense time. Like, I can we moved imagine. together, started working together. Yeah. Like, 24-7, basically, uh, which is fun coming home a, a Sunday evening. Someone is still working or again working. I don't know. Right. And like you go back to the computer as well. Um, so, yeah, since they then joined Google, I didn't, like, we, we had to, to move out because of confidentiality stuff. Um, so I guess an apartment, uh, living alone, <laughs> that was probably the biggest, biggest thing. Um, uh. But nothing specific. Like in the end, it, for me, it was clear it's going to be like, time investing myself that's kind of it right. for, for the journey so I it's always have the, that option right it sounds like your life didn't change that much even after the acquisition did it make you feel any different like did you feel more secure or financially free or anything of that sort that had an impact on you hmm i i guess i mean certainly there was some security but uh i mean we came if you think about it it came out of eth and we started that kind of a parallel so like when we made money with our app that already was like the income uh that right. kind of gave us some security that we didn't really need much more uh, per se if you look at that um but you can also look at the other on, on the other side is actually the team i mean at that point i didn't really have a team anymore so okay what do you do do you do it alone do, yeah. you, do you look for confidence or whatnot um, that probably was also part of the of the thinking um, that that went into my time there. Yeah, makes sense. And then you continued the entrepreneurial path. You then founded Panamove, a personal training startup, and this venture lasted for less than a year. So, what went wrong there? What did you take away from from that experience? I mean, first of all, I think this is interesting for the entrepreneurs. I mean, I, this wasn't the next thing. Actually, I did a lot of projects and tried out a lot of things in between. I worked with different people, tried out other projects that we uh, killed even earlier. Then, then, then we ended up in Panamove, like closing Panamove. Uh, so it's also a process. I mean, this is also one of the uh, of the things after uh, uh, the the sale to Google. It's like okay, starting from square one, what do you do? Right. 
Um, and then it's it's a lot of trying, I think, as well, and like finding someone to work with. And then I uh, co-founded Panumove with uh, Gregor Loresh. Um, um, I got to know during that time before a little bit. And we decided to to found or like this was one of the things that were like okay that that, that could work longer. Like a lot of pieces came together, mm-hmm. um, so we decided to to try that out. And there was. I think also a lot of learnings involved. I did the post. I actually did a longer post more than I never posted online. Uh, I have much more learnings uh, for for that. Um, a lot of things worked well. We did revenue after like two or three months, uh, the first customer. So it was nice too. Uh, we traded a lot there too with, with the model pricing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the end, we found like a lot of th- things worked. But a couple crucial, critical things we never really figured out how it should be solved and how it can actually be sustained um we even had would have been uh, would have had investors um like, like the first angels that would have invested most likely you never know until you close but True. most likely yeah. um but we then basically went back like okay now we like we stop because we didn't figure out those crucial parts and we don't if we don't even see in an optimistic way how that could work like, what's the point in, in, in going forward? Right. Uh, it was a really hard um, decision um, because so many things worked and we really had a need in the market. But if you don't see you're uh, being able to make the model work, um, it's 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 really, it, yeah, the question how you should, should, should you pivot? And we saw some things we could do, but then we end up like deciding, okay, we don't even want to go into that direction. So the motivation mm-hmm. didn't really... Uh, 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 wasn't really for for that kind of business that would have um, been able to turn out that we saw that yeah. that's probably going to work, but we don't want to do that. It's not uh, the, sustaining the vision we we had initially. So that's Got it. Kind of the decision. What were some of the crucial things that uh, you weren't able to figure out? Because it's probably very deeply rooted in the product or the business model. So do you have one or two examples about the, these points? In the end, it was kind of a complex, more difficult platform model, right? Where we had uh, fitness studios, uh, customers, obviously, and personal trainers. And we tried to make model work that connects the three of them, Mm -hmm. uh, connected through a platform. And kind of what we figured out we weren't able to do as a platform is kind of controlling the quality really on a sustainable basis that uh, in particular the customers are happy with the service. Yeah. Uh, so we figured, okay, you need a little bit more control over the individual elements uh, that you can make it work well enough mm-hmm. to uh, yeah, to sustain uh, the quality. Yeah. Got it. And I also like to talk about two particular things. First of all, how to test and identify ideas and then decide what to focus on. And then also when to decide to move on and move away from an idea, basically. Let's start with the first part. You mentioned there was a period between the exit to Google and the foundation Mm -hmm. of Panamove. How did you test and also evaluate ideas and then decide what you actually want to focus on? Because that's something that I can imagine many potential entrepreneurs out there have real struggles with. Yeah, it's also I think a difficult thing. That's probably not there's no not the one fits all. Um, in the end, I think it's execution in a way. Just just do something, 
test mm -hmm. it, uh, talk to customers, try it. And if you're not getting paid, you're probably doing something wrong. Um, so that's, that, that's a helpful way. And then I think it's a lot of reflection, like, okay, what, what does work? What doesn't work? Why doesn't it work? And I think the, the hardest thing then is like deciding, okay, when to stop, because you always hear like, okay, never stop. And like, yeah, always exactly. go forward. That, that cannot be like most of the entrepreneurs and also successful companies, they started with something else and they, yeah stopped at some point doing something as well so it just cannot be true that you always have to 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 do it so sometimes you also to i think it's the the motivation you need to look like okay why do you go forward or what doesn't work and why mm -hmm. uh, and if if it's a fundamental thing like for panamove if the core business model or the value proposition just doesn't work yeah. and that would mean you need to pivot into a business model and basically a different kind of business that you really don't want to do on a personal level that's okay then why should you do it it's like yeah. just for the sake of, the, of it maybe if you have investors maybe you need to do it maybe not um, yeah. you can talk to them i think then like it gets more complex if you have more stakeholders for us mm -hmm. for pony movie it was relatively easy because it was bootstrapped until that point uh, just two people like working or uh, investing money into it um so you can make the decision relatively easy and arguing with motivation, I don't want to do it, is, is a fair, uh, fair uh, point to give something up if it's Absolutely. just you. If you have investors, maybe not. Maybe you should try more until you really, really cannot do something else. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe you can stop. And I think this is a very different mindset in the Valley than it, than it is here, I think. In the Valley, I, I read a lot of stories, or you read a lot of stories sometimes, like, okay, an entrepreneur tries this, and then you have actually investors spending maybe already invested millions, mm -hmm. and the entrepreneur, okay, it doesn't work. They maybe proactively tell you, okay, why should you like, try three years now to make it work if, you don't, if it doesn't really work? You'd rather stop it and start something new, and then maybe this is a win. And this also makes, I think, from a from a VC perspective, more more sense uh, betting on something that can go big than trying to save something that might work, maybe maybe not. Um, and I think this is different uh, here in Switzerland. It will probably a little bit more where you try to make it work a little bit longer than just to give up and start something new. Yeah. Because risk uh, risk aversion and failure culture, I think that that's the whole part of it as well. So here we tend to ride the dead horse a bit longer than in other ecosystems. <laughs> yeah, I guess you can phrase it that way, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In, in that regard, I mean, this of course heavily depends on the industry and the business model yeah. that you're facing, but is there a certain time frame where you say, okay, this is about, in your case, it was like three to four months until you had the traction, some first revenue coming in. Is that a good time frame to give yourself to say, okay, I really want to make it work in, in that time frame? If you go into, I say, a consumer product, software yeah. pro business, like not biotech or anything of that sort, but um, something that you can also test in a more rapid, what's a good time frame to give yourself before you then have to decide whether do you continue or you stop? Again, I think not something you can have a fixed time on it. I think it depends on, um, as you said, the industry, the model in general, um, but also the stage, I think, of the idea. I mean, if you have just an idea, mm -hmm. a perfectly valid time frame is a couple of days, like sleep over it. Is it still a good idea? Yes or no? Do you think yeah. it is? And then maybe if a concept, you talk to people, then I think the, the time frame gets longer and longer. Mm -hmm. um, and you should obviously try to keep it as small as possible, like win startup, where we, uh, by now I hope uh, the, uh, 
the watchers all, uh, already have heard it a couple of times, like try to keep it as short as possible. Because if you spend it on something to try to figure out something for a year that you could have figured out in a month or a week, um, like you maybe have wasted uh, much less time. You could have tried something else uh, in that time frame True. as well. Um, but again, I think there's no right or wrong, but I would suggest like doing it continuously, reflecting, okay, mm -hmm. what are you doing? Is it still the right thing? Uh, because you always have to do it like what's working, what's not working, why does something not work and what do you need to change? Got it. And I'm also just curious, how do you actually reflect yourself? Do you write a, a personal journal? Do you talk to other people or do you just go outside, sit on a bench and think things over? How do you reflect on a personal level? All of the both. Okay. <laughs> Everything. Uh, yeah, I think get as much feedback and reflection as possible, uh, I guess, and particular feedback. Um, because it's hard enough and it's ambiguous enough the feedback anyway from people um, to something. Mm -hmm. I guess the most the most important feedback is obviously from your from your customers or users, um, kind of not necessarily or in a very uh, direct way. Obviously, you can interview them, but also in their behavior. Like, do they buy? Do they upgrade? Uh, yeah. Do they come uh, come again? This is the crucial feedback they have uh, very directly. Then you obviously need to figure out why this is, mm -hmm. uh, and then you can go forward. Like higher and higher level like strategically is it the right thing is it the right model yes or no and yeah i think i mean this is very personal but i reflect personally a lot about the the things instead of just running into a wall and trying 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 yeah. trying so like okay thing stay back which is hard always very hard if things are burning it's hard to, to step back but it's important because otherwise you're just yeah, putting out fires that cannot be it either yeah Switching from that reactive to a more proactive mode of operation is crucial also yeah. to not burn out yourself because then you can put out fires all day long and it will eventually yes. also burn you out, right? Yes. So last question on the, the Panamove story, basically, when he then decided to, to stop the operations and to close the shop, what did that do to you on a personal and emotional level? Like, was that difficult for you to execute that step? Did he also feel like any negative energy or like pulled down and needed some time to reflect and recharge or how did he handle that on a personal level? I think the time leading up to the decision or like pulling the trigger on the decision, I mean, it was was it was a tough time, a couple of weeks, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, and even before, I mean, you, you saw that things don't work or like crucial things and you try certain things and it's very demanding, it's very tough. Um, and in particular, then going to the decision points, like, okay, what does it mean? Like, what do you have to do? And uh, like, how will people perceive uh, yourself? What do customers say? You need to inform them. It's it's not a very pleasant thing to do. Um, so you, uh, you go there. But I think at that point, when you make the decision, actually execute it, there's some kind of relief because you made a decision and you're trying to look forward instead of like backwards. And I think that is, um, if, I, if I try to remember back, I think there was kind of the feeling also after after it, like, okay, um, made the decision now, let's look forward. And that is, yeah, I think relieving as well. Instead of trying, oh, should I, should I not? At some point, just right. making a decision is better than not making any 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 progress or yeah. decision. Sounds like a good message to take away and <laughs> to reflect personally yeah. uh, yourself about that. And then you didn't stop there. You then moved on with the next entrepreneurial venture, basically. In 2016, you uh, founded Kingfluencers together with uh, three co-founders in total. 
So how did that idea come about? How did, was Kingfluencers born, basically? Mm -hmm. um, again, it wasn't right after, so it was a time in between. I did some ho um, holiday, I guess, probably, but also time like reflecting, trying new things, looking mm -hmm. what do I want to do? That's also a, a good thing. After you finish something positive or negative to think about what you do. Right. Um, and at that point, I also kind of thought like, okay, what do you want to do? And I really wanted to do, start something again, build something up, kind of going through the pain again that I went with Panamu or the other company. Uh, I think it's a perfectly valid decision, also making decision, okay, I don't want to mm -hmm. do that anymore. I want to do something else. Um, it's always just important, I think, to give it some time, not just right after, but really uh, taking a little bit of time. So uh, then I got to know Roman Fabio, my other co-founders, uh, co and the story is a little bit longer. Kingfluence has already existed, at least part of it. Mm -hmm. um, but then when I met uh, Roman and Fabian, actually through my co-founder from, from Panamove, Craig, nice. uh, it was really fun. He made the introduction uh, to, to Kingfluencers uh, and those two, we were like, okay, influencer marketing, it's a very interesting field. I actually, in the beginning of 2016, when I looked for projects, I looked into influencer marketing as well myself personally. But I didn't have like the components. I didn't have connections to brands or marketing mm. industry in general. Uh, so I put this, the idea a little bit aside. But then when I met them, I was like, okay, this is this is this is perfect. We are now with a very uh, diverse team, at least in a sense of our, our background. So Fabian came from marketing and sales, more Roman mm. from the operational side, finance side, and I from the tech side. I was like, okay, this is this works. Uh, this can work perfectly together, at least on paper. Right. Uh, the biggest thing was we didn't know each other. We didn't know how to, uh, like, can we even work together? But after some meetings, we were like, okay, the only th way to figure out is just to try it. Mm -hmm. um, what, what, what else you, you can do? You can talk about it as much as you want. But you, also there, you need to make a decision. Let's try it. If it doesn't work, we'll know it probably in a couple of months. Um, otherwise, we will never know. And uh, kind of... Uh, started that, that that journey yeah amazing yeah. so there were no like uh, co-founder retreats at the beginning or tough tests you just started working together to find out if you actually function well yeah, yeah i think that's also great. good <laughs> because many people are also you know stressed out about the fact i i want to do something but i don't have the right co-founders on my side and just starting together probably also taking into considerations mm -hmm. what do we do if things don't work out to not jeopardize the company that's probably the best setup that you can do to just start working together and you will probably feel it immediately after yeah. a few weeks if it works out or not. Yeah, I think that's always the beauty. I mean, I don't necessarily like the, the slogan and I could just do it, but right. but it has so much truth in it. If you, if you don't know, just like just try it. Mm -hmm. what, what else do you have to lose? I mean, you need to figure out sometimes you have something to lose, obviously, yes, but yeah. there's always a way to try something, even if you work somewhere, if you want to try an idea, just, just do it. Maybe you can reduce to 80% work 20% on it or do it sure. on the weekend uh, if you don't even want to do that then it's probably not the right thing either way yeah so it's a that's also a sign you're probably not passionate enough to actually build a business around yeah, that specific yeah. thing before we continue with the show we would like to introduce you to our new partner Nuco. Nuco helps founders navigate the paperwork that starting a company involves from the first consultation all the way to the commercial register Nuco has helped more than 900 entrepreneurs start their company, and they do so at highly competitive prices. To find out more, visit nuco.ch slash Swisspreneur. Again, that's nuco.ch slash Swisspreneur. And now, 
on with the show. If we talk about the idea, you know, what we often also hear from podcast guests is that they want to focus on the problem that they want to use themselves or like solve themselves, the product that they want to use themselves. In, in that regard, how was the idea process or the idea behind Kingfluencers different from Panamove? Because Kingfluencers is still five years after founding, still active, uh, growing very nicely. So what was the difference in terms of the ideation process behind it? Um, I think the fact that kind of three people came together with kind of their individual experiences of it kind of made it different than to come up with an idea for a problem per se. Um, I try to remember, I think for influencer marketing, kind of, I actually had a project beginning of 16 that I was thinking like, okay, now I have this, it works. I kind of would need an influencer now, like, okay, how, how to go about that? Mm-hmm. And it was just nothing there, like how you would find them or like pay, like in terms of the flow. So it was just nothing there. So I experienced it in at least a little part myself. Um, as a, as, a, as a startup, but I obviously didn't know it from the perspective of a big brand. Uh, right. At that point, it was also kind of different uh, um, time. I mean, people didn't really look that strongly. We were, uh, or we needed to be uh, also the educator of the market and influencer marketing and making yeah. it more professional and all the kind of stuff, uh, which was important for a new marketing channel. Um, so if I kind of, the idea was clear. I mean, it's influencer marketing, you have customers. So I think the model was quite clear mm-hmm. uh, from, from the get-go, how, how that should work, at least in a, roughly, in a rough sense. So it's not a completely different model. You have marketing, you have money, it goes to a channel in that, uh, in that regard. It was influencers and they make posts and you get something in return, which is traffic or uh, uh, impressions or, mm-hmm. views or, or something like that. So from that regard, it was already a set model, but I think the difficulty was to really embed it. Okay, how do you do it? Like, how does yeah. does an offer look like? How does a report look like? How do you do the whole management process and what is needed? And from the beginning, it was kind of in, intuitive, clear what we need to do. It's like, okay, customers, they need to be treated. They had their request. Obviously, they pulled out their mm-hmm. needs if they wanted to have a report. We need, okay, we need to deliver a report and then you go figure it out. Uh, at least in some part, at least the uh, things you don't have yet. So it, it was kind of a more um, a model that kind of already went into execution mode and you need to rate it a lot more on that regard instead of a very smart business model and stakeholder uh, design. I mean, you had to do like, how does the pricing work and stuff like that? And that also changed over time. And you brought all these sites together on your platform basically and built it up from there. That's your core offering basically at heart. Uh, yes. I mean, in the beginning, it it was very important to being able to execute as many campaigns as possible and try mm-hmm. to automate the stuff we did kind of partially manually or manually mm-hmm. even uh, with Excel sheets and bringing it together on the most crucial things. And the difficulty is like you can think about all the things you can do or should do. But then the question is, okay, what do you do? How do you build the business and how can you build something that adds a little bit more value that you can do more revenue or cater more customers or cater their, uh, the quality needs and stuff and make the hard decisions what to focus on. Um, and this was, I think, a very, like, still, still is hard, uh, hard, uh, hard to do because there are more, many more things you can do than you should do. And how does your business model look like these days? Um, 
from the outside, it's still kind of the same. Like you have a customer um, that has a budget or we try to focus on, okay, they, they have set budget and we try more, a little bit more to figure out, okay, what do they want to achieve with it than mm -hmm. just to go with like, okay, you get so many impressions or you get this, but what you want to achieve and then model the campaign or also the services we offer nowadays around it in, in a better sense. Because if we figure, okay, they say they want to have this, but they don't have the foundational like on the strategy part maybe, yeah. or their social media is not like on the same level. It doesn't make sense maybe to push that much into one thing and then like lose the steam, but maybe you should distribute it better. And that's right. also kind of what goes into our offering. So we are not only influencer marketing, but um, also social media agency more and more to be able to integrate it better to that customers get more out of it. Nice. And you mentioned that 2016 was actually still pretty early on in the influencer marketing game. So why was it still the right timing to actually start Kingfluencers as a company? Was it more driven by the finding of your co-founders, your team, like a more an internal thing? Or was there also a shift or anything external in the market that, that pushed you that way? I think it was a little bit more advanced uh, in in other countries than Switzerland. So mm -hmm. in the UK, the US, it was uh, a little bit more established. But in Switzerland, it wasn't. Um, so that in it was always kind of a factor so we can always do it better here and do it more locally and cater to services so there was always the question like okay some competitors coming to switzerland actually like pu pushing us out or something like that competing with them mm -hmm. maybe with more funding and whatnot uh, there was always a concern this always is a concern but in the end if you offer additional services like we do as well now part of strategic decision uh you can offer things they cannot do it from 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 the uk here in switzerland because you have the connection to the clients the brands but yeah. also maybe you have a better market know-how so that's uh, was always an option uh, to have uh, and from that regard it was okay let's try it again here i mean maybe someone comes around and pushes you but should you not start or do something because of that because of fear i guess not figure right. out and have to be better than others as well it also pushes you and in that regard, also the other markets sort of served as inspiration because often you see trends emerging in the US and then coming to Switzerland three, four, five years later, right? Yeah, there was certainly a point. And for us, it was good because it changed the mindset on the side of our customers as well. Nice. They didn't look at it at something, oh, that's very stupid and like, oh, this influences. But they were like, okay, our brand maybe even in the US like spends millions already on it, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe they should also consider it. So the the mindset changed over time. I think that was that was important in Switzerland. That sometimes it takes a little bit longer to get here, but if it gets here, it's 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 a good business as well. Great. And in that regard, if you look at the Swiss market, you know, from the outside perspective, you might think, okay, well, Switzerland, it's a nice start, but it's probably also a pretty small market. Can you actually build a good business around that? Yeah. <laughs> you can. Um, no, it's a, it's a good question. But in, I think for many things, it probably doesn't make a lot of sense uh, to just focus on the Swiss market because mm -hmm. the Swiss marketing or advertising market is in itself relatively big. I mean, depends on what, what you're thinking about. I mean, you, you cannot make a billion dollar business in marketing in Switzerland. That's probably right. not going to work. Uh, but you can make a, a, a good business. But this also depends how you grow, what model you go in, mm -hmm. what direction you go, if it's a good business. Um, 
or not not all the businesses have to be uh, billion dollar businesses so, sure absolutely not so also also other stuff this i mean is again maybe uh, looping back to the beginning or uh, depends on the expectations of all the all the stakeholders if you have investors and you have a team it's just like okay we we don't care about revenue short-term profitability we just mm-hmm. want to make something really big huge international then you should maybe yeah, consider different different paths instead of like okay we can also do it differently and we can take more time or not um to Absolutely. build something else or pivot in a direction that would not be possible if you have a different mindset or you got money for a different reason it's like you need to build something big then it doesn't make sense to make a smaller company out of it and that depends on on how you how you grow and what decisions you make on the go yeah that makes sense I also wonder, you know, um, advertising with influencers can also be a delicate challenge because it's also very much about staying authentic, but also credible. How do you deal with that challenge? That's a big question. That's our secret. (laughs) The Um, secret sauce, basically. The very short answer is we tell influencers stay authentic and don't do stuff that you cannot get behind. It's Mm -hmm. kind of in a rough sense. And we obviously monitor that as well. We look, we select the influencers based on that. You select the influencers based on the metric of the brand that that cannot even happen or should not even happen. You don't select someone uh, or match someone to a brand that is completely off from the beginning because then the chances are higher that they try to something different or they do whatever they do. Then is the customer not happy or they try to be... um, more like they want it to be, the brand wants the influencer to be, and yeah. then the community is not happy, so you have to, to strike the balance there. Um, because the followers, the people, they can smell that if, if it's oh, not yeah, authentic, yeah. right? You just it's, realize that very, very quickly. easily. It, it's, it's harsh. Yeah. Um, yeah. And most influencers, I think, are interested to keep their community because they spend a lot of time building of it up and then just wasting it because of a little bit money. It's just not worth it sure. if they spend three years building it up. Absolutely. Is there also any technology that helps you to sort of match the right influencers with the right brands or to actually monitor the whole thing? Um, yeah, I mean, our platform like uses a lot of libraries. Uh, we build our own systems, uh, machine learning, AI systems uh, to, to match or forecast a uh, lot of things based, based on that. Like, I mean, nowadays you can't even, I don't know, have a bakery without a computer system. So uh, why point. should you in the, uh, be able in the digital world? I mean, it's it's, it's big. There's a lot of complexity, obviously. Yeah. Uh, it's just how, how it works. And uh, yeah, I think that also gives a certain mode against competitor or new entrants mm-hmm. um, because it's hard to build it all up uh, from the beginning. And have yeah, we reinvested into the business heavily over the time in, in those systems? Right. If we focus on your platform again, it's a two-sided platform. You already basically made your experience with Panamove. What did you do differently here at Kingfluencers to actually make it work? Because that was one of the big challenges back uh, in the days at Panamove. It's in the details, really in the details of the model, how it works. I mean, if you connect a personal trainer with a customer, it's a completely different relationship than if you manage a marketing post with a brand and an influencer. So yes, there is a relationship, but it's less tight and mm-hmm. less rigid. Uh, it's more accepted to change. So it's it's a completely different dynamic. And the difference is, I mean, I looked at the model, like with all the things that we did with Panamove, and I asked the question, is this 
true here as well. Mm -hmm. Does it work or this part work here uh, or doesn't it? Or like, where are the challenges? Where are the risks? Are they the same risks? Yes or no? And obviously there are different parts, but it actually it helped me a lot to think about uh, this new model, which is completely different, but it helps to look at certain things. Um, obviously, marketplace, it's always like, okay, uh, customer can go directly. It was in both scenarios um, the same thing. Uh, with Panamove, this was not really a problem. We we actually had something that could solve that. So it wasn't mm. a problem that the customer can't go. Obviously, they can, but it wasn't a really big risk in the end uh, for us. And for influencers, it's kind of the same. I mean, obviously, customers can do it themselves. Our best customers tried it themselves and figured out it's really hard and it costs so much money to do it yourself and then it doesn't turn out well. So mm -hmm. they, they came back uh, to us and that kind of was the experience uh, there as well. So kind of comparing that it was really interesting to see how how it's the same but completely differently uh, solved. That's very interesting. Uh, Another interesting thing happened probably after a lot of reflection that you practice in 2020 when you decided to step down as CEO and focus your future role on a board member. How do you actually make that decision and also then manage the transition from CEO to a board member? I, I, I can imagine this is a very, very big decision to take. So how do you manage that? Yeah, it, it was a big decision. I mean, it was, I think, clear from the beginning, at least for me or for when we designed, when we started it, it's like, okay, uh, uh, that this position, I mean, it, it always changes anyway, but it was from the beginning clear for me, I didn't want to be the CEO. It just uh, ended up being ma making sense. And obviously I wanted the challenge and the experience, um, but that is not a good reason in itself. So it, it just helps. If you don't want to do it, then maybe you shouldn't even do it from <laughs> the beginning. Um, but it came together. It, it worked uh, well in that setting, but it was clear to me at some point, it doesn't make sense. Uh, because you have, uh, you need a different skill set for different uh, phases of your company. Mm -hmm. At the beginning, you start. I mean, we were three people, and in the beginning, it was right. like very unglamorous. I wrote code all day, <laughs> and, like managing three people, like part of it. There wasn't really a lot of work. You need to think about a lot. You, you you do some things. You start hiring, and you're getting obsolete all the time anyway. Um, and then, I mean, for, for me, the transition started like, okay, I hire engineers, we hire different people, uh, it gets more strategic, you think about all this stuff, you, you think about fundraising. Uh, so your role changes anyway all the time. So the thinking mm -hmm. about thinking your role should be there from the beginning. And in that regard, it wasn't really um, like new to make, oh, I'm not a CEO. I didn't want it to be, I don't want to be a CEO. I want to yeah. build something up. I want to create value. I want to have happy customers and, and obviously also shareholders and investors. Uh, uh, but in the end, the company is is in the foreground and not not any any shareholder, not an investor, not even the customers and influencers, but the company in itself. That needs to survive, need to grow. Yeah. And then you need to ask, okay, who is the best person for that or that phase? Uh, it's also very strategic. Um, decision and I think since you're as a founder you're always usually also the per person or people that are doing the big strategic decisions mm -hmm. you also need to think in those terms and not only as you as the operator um, because fires right and you, you're in the in the, in this in this treadmill and getting out is hard yeah. uh, but it helps if you separate your uh, your roles and it's like okay what makes sense for the company and what is the right or the, the, the right fit uh, and so there was also a lot of, of talks and discussions. And I think at the, at the beginning, it was also not uh, 
not easy to find like okay when even if you know it mm-hmm. figuring out what when is the time the exact time to do it is not always that easy i think because you need to yeah you could predefine it in the beginning like okay when this happens maybe <laughs> maybe that would make it easier um but it's also fine to say i want to be the ceo for for sure. a very long time uh, but it's the best thing is if you're very clear from the beginning mm-hmm. what you want to do then you can also always tell all your or shareholders this is how i want to do it that's fine and for me i think it was the same i was very clear that's not it if it doesn't make sense then it should change and it's also in the interest of the company and me as a shareholder as well uh, that the company manage or like has the organization that it needs and concretely it was mostly the transition from like a build-up phase to really focus on commercialization really pushing mm-hmm. the company uh on, on on sales marketing really make it um, more uh, as an, uh, let's say more sustained and and uh, uh, organization out of it that during the transition like okay i'm not the person to to maybe lead maybe a little bit through this transition but then like really the commercial organization i'm not a commercial guy um so that's that was for me not a natural thing to do and i also didn't want to go too much into that direction got it because i can imagine for many people it can be incredibly difficult to let go to step down because it also feels like you lose something that's very valuable or strongly attached to you for you it sounds the opposite you were very clear from the beginning and at the same time probably also it helps that the tasks that then come with the commercialization, with the rapid growth, that this is probably not something that you thoroughly enjoy yourself. You probably prefer building. Did that also help a big time to actually make that decision and, and let go? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think also something to to think about is always, I mean, if you're a company, like probably in any position, you have oftentimes you have gut feeling decisions you need to make. You need mm-hmm. to make a decision, okay, which direction do you go, what to focus on, what priority to take. Um, and if you, like your background is tech or this is mostly what you do or you like also to do, your gut will go into that direction. Right. For me, it's very clear, this is not the right direction for the strategies. <laughs> we need to make the gut decisions from someone that is obviously cares and there's a lot of like requirements that need to be set mm-hmm. as well. But then the decisions are better going more into the direction you want to have it to go. Um, And that helps to really separate like your ego. I mean, you need to separate your ego from it. It's like, it's not personal. It's not about me. I think it's much easier to make the decision um, to do that and also communicate it and and figure it out. But I also have a lot very good uh, people around me making decisions in the board of us. We had the discussion, open discussion, and that's, uh, that's, that's also helpful having right people to, to talk to uh, that also tell you or like challenge your assumptions and stuff. Yeah. 100%. And when you actually then communicated it, do you have any recommendations for people in a similar situation? Because many people, you potentially also hired them. Um, they sort of saw you as a leader. They followed you. They bought in on your vision. How can you make sure that once you change your role and you leave as CEO, that they are still motivated, still believe in the vision of the company and don't take that the wrong way. Is there anything that you can recommend? I mean, first of all, your decision for it needs to be sound and reasonable, and you need to be able to follow that. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have done that, I think you can basically communicate it like that. And if it someone like doesn't see it or like it's not a fit anymore, then then maybe you need need to part. It's absolutely normal <laughs> for that to happen. Um, 
And I'm not sure if, if that actually was the reason, but we obviously uh, changed organization over time. People people went, maybe part of that based uh, based on this decision. And mm-hmm. it, this is absolutely fine. An organization, a company is an organism that needs to evolve. And it cannot evolve if you're stuck or like try to, to be something that's not. And you need to find the people that actually follow the strategy or, or um, are suiting to that strategy and, and duration if, if that changes, yeah. Right. So. And I also wonder now with the change of role, like almost, not exactly, but almost a year ago, how has your life changed? How does your day look like? Do you have more time for other things now or how does your day look like these days? Yeah, it's, it's, it is, it's quite different. It's, it's funny. I'm, I mean, I'm still involved part-time, um, working on the, on the tech and product part as mm. well as like more strategic, strategic operative stuff that, that sometimes gets mixed a little bit, uh, obviously, and also in the board. Um, so that is interesting, like changing role and having people that do things that, that you can advise or help, but will ultimately make the decision. And it's also very nice to, to see how that works, uh, and how much you can do from, a, like from, a, from, a, uh, from a board. Uh, to to steer and my personal uh, week or day looks looks different yeah i work on, on different projects personal projects um right now we launched actually uh, with a friend of mine uh, a, a different app kind of side project it's called eminem and we cut m's out of podcasts i saw it, it looks super cool the name is just <laughs> the amazing. name is good right so at least that one we got right uh so this is it was fun like building up something uh, from scratch again um, mm-hmm. we now have users customers revenues so this is nice i still needs work obviously but uh, that's fun to do as, as as one project and i have two two three other things uh in other industries that i work on uh, when time permits it's a little bit more hectic and i need to shift around stuff but that's that's also fun uh, for a while instead of like if you focus like a couple of years just on one thing and i was very very focused that was basically didn't work on anything else yeah. uh, for all at that time uh it's uh, that is now very very different and but also fun and uh, energizing and also nice because sometimes you can actually apply learning from one to another you have sometimes yeah. more more distance as well uh, so it mutually benefits itself a little bit as well and in that regard, I can imagine that you also have to face a decision one day, whether you also want to go down the investor route, basically. So how do you decide whether you want to focus your time on investing in, in startups and in other companies versus building them yourself? So it's, it's a good question uh, uh, again, and I cannot really answer it right now. Um, but I mean, I always have been a builder. I like to build up stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was kind of in my... Uh, gene if you, if you want to have so I think that I I like the process I like the building up the, the generating um, of something new investing obviously is something a role a lot of people then go in um, without the definitive answer or like don't get me hung on it I probably will not do that full time I mean mm. I did some some some, some minor stuff uh, investing but not full-time and not prob- most likely not as a VC, maybe part-time. I, I think it's very interesting to see a lot of companies right. and from a high level that, that is really, uh, I think, um, interesting to get into or maybe even go into it a little bit more uh, deeper, but not just on a monetary level somehow. Um, so if it will be connected or maybe maybe something else. So uh, I like the data looking at companies, these dissecting models 
uh, comparing them and maybe not necessarily advising but helping companies to do that uh, because it's so fascinating so so much uh, complexity in, in organizations and in companies mm-hmm. models um and, and i like that uh, a lot so that's maybe goes into that direction so we probably won't see you as full-time investor but maybe as part-time investor in the future yeah, yeah. who knows could be yeah so before we wrap up the episode, we also would like to learn more about your personal resources that you can recommend to our listeners. That could be anything from books to podcasts, newsletters, whatever comes to mind. What can you share that you use yourself on a regular basis? On a regular basis? Oh, I mean, I used to use more sources in the past, but right now, I mean, okay, let's let's search just right now. I mean, so I'm subscribed to TechCrunch, even have their premium uh, thing um, because nowadays they don't publish anything except news <laughs> for the free part. <laughs> so I try to upgrade yeah. and look at it, and it, it's it's nice. It's a little bit more in depth, uh, so that's sometimes good. Um, read a lot of other uh, news, but I mean, obviously there are a lot of books, uh, the, the the usual suspects, obviously I guess. But I would go and recommend, like. And that's what I try to do as well. Read a lot of other stuff as well, like at least nonfiction. I'm not sure about fiction. I don't really <laughs> read a lot of uh, fiction uh, apart from holidays. Um, nonfiction, because what I find interesting is sometimes you, you always see something, you learn something from mm. a completely different field, be it in biology, be it in chemistry, be it in history. Uh, obviously, yes, you can read about finance uh, or, and, and there's so many things to learn and you can always cross-reference at some time something because you saw it somewhere else. And I think this can give you at some point a really good um, differentiator. If you see, like you have a startup, you have a model and you see something very unconventional, make a very good unconventional connection. Mm-hmm. You can bring an insight from completely different field into your field and actually build a much, much better product. And I really believe that can happen, I think, because it has happened. Uh, but for that, you need to have a broad base of, of, of knowledge or, or information yeah. and that's why I like it as well but also thinking outside of your bubble uh, and just the things everybody does um, so they can can help you and probably it had helped me as well um, at least in, 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 in intuitive regards so maybe the this gut decision sometimes you feel something is wrong maybe because you've seen it or you have read it in, in different other categories so this would be probably my resource to recommend like don't fixate on something or very going too niche. Mm-hmm. And particularly if you're an entrepreneur and you have a, have a company, maybe yeah. you can learn from from other stuff uh, from much broader because particularly if you're a founder or a CEO, your job is not doing something very, very good. It's making sure you have the people, the right organization to build on, the, on top of that. And if you have the insight to hire a very unconventional person, uh, this could make a difference at some point. I like that a lot. And it also brings me to a follow-up question, because if we zoom out a bit, we talked about your different ventures mm. that you built. Um, some worked very well, others didn't. What actually motivates you? Do you have like a bigger thing that motivates you, that keeps you going, that, that you know, that's why I get out of bed in the morning? Not one thing, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's um, learn, a kind of learning. It's not a very broad, broad term, but... I always like to challenge myself and do something else and, and grow, grow bigger as a person and mm-hmm. being able to do more stuff. Um, I always get bored if I do something repetitively. I always go try to optimize it and probably not a lot of listeners 
uh, noted as well. Um, so I don't know. I think that's that's probably it. So looking for the challenge and trying something new and not doing always the same thing. That's also why I try to like have different projects now. I really mm -hmm. like it because I'm completely different fields. Um, and like being able to connect those thoughts from different industries or models or, or products or whatnot, that's, uh, I think the intellectual challenge, I like that um, challenge nice. in itself as well, um, sometimes. Yeah. Cool. And I think that's uh, the self-reflective part that actually brought you here. So what you just mentioned, that's the right setup for you. But of course, that's not something that other people should yeah. just copy and say, oh, he sold his startup to Google. I also want to do that. So now I just copy your model. You have to self-reflect and think about what's right for me. What's exactly. my motivation? And, and then find what, that. And What you like, what you're good at. Exactly. Um, and I mean, other people, they're very good with something very specific in the niche. And you yeah. can do something out of that. And you Absolutely. maybe need to focus on that, but you cannot build something else. Yeah. Or probably you should not. Uh, but it's also I always like to say like okay try something else and you're you can be more or if if you want to but always like motivation skills and why or what you do it for and it's so individual there's no exactly. uh, I think no right answers and again I, I want to say it here as well I I did a talk some time ago about advice and why not mm -hmm. to take it <laughs> uh, so don't take anything as for granted I said today or uh, here. Uh, think for yourself and uh, see what, what works for you or doesn't work for you. And I think the reflecting part helps Wonderful. To, to think about that. Yeah. So I think that's the perfect segue to the last part of this interview, to the rapid fire question. So I either give you a short question or yes. a selection and you have to make either the selection or explain your uh, answer in one sentence. Are you ready? Yeah, I hope so. Facebook, TikTok or Instagram? TikTok. That's a clear choice for you. Why? <laughs> uh, actually, I thought a little bit about it uh, because I thought uh, we're going to have the question. Um, TikTok, I don't, I, I have an account that don't use it, but it's, they're growing so fast. It's so different. It's so weird uh, uh, that I just, just, just like it. It's, it's nice. It's yeah. How many hours of sleep did you get last night? I think uh, a little bit over seven hours, like full sleep. Nice. Who's your favorite influencer? I know that's a uh, that's a oh, mean one to ask. That's very mean. I go with Zeki, let's say. Yeah. I think it's his fun. Or Absolutely. also like we work a lot of him. And I think he changed also over time in, in his role. He's he's he thinks about what he does. And cool. Uh, Agency or product business? <laughs> that's an easy one, right? No, actually, it's not. Uh, <laughs> product business, I would go for that now. Yeah. I thought so. Yeah. Where do you go to think or to reflect, for that matter? Anywhere. Doesn't matter. It's constantly on your mind. Yes. Nice. And the last one, founder or investor? Founder. That's where you build things. Yeah. Amazing. Christian, thank you so much for sharing your impressive story. It's been a real pleasure to talking to you, and we wish you all the best for whatever future projects you might tackle. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. This episode was brought to you by Swisspreneur's main partner, Clara Business, the digital all-in-one solution for small businesses. Managing internal processes manually and on paper wastes an incredible amount of time. That's why Clara digitizes everything, allowing you to focus on what really matters, your core business. 
Go to clara.ch to find out how your business administration can be simpler, faster, and more efficient. Again, that's clara.ch.